Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, greetings again, everybody. It's Jim Jerome coming at you with a special edition of Inside Curling. Uh, You know what week it is? It's Briar Week. The preliminaries are in the books. Stick around. We're going to talk about that (laughs) and much more. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. It's clean. Don't kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Last stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Yeah, so off we go, uh, Briar. Love the Briar. Love talking to Briar. Uh, and, uh, of course, this is the week of the Briar down in Lethbridge. Uh, we're going to get Warren and Kevin's update on that. And we've got a special guest that we're going to bring on. First, we'd like to acknowledge all our great sponsors with Inside Curling, uh, bringing you our weekly edition and, of course, these special editions that we've done a bunch of over the last couple of months. Thank you very much to Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. Playoff rounds are happening in uh, the Paralympics in Beijing. Warren, you're going to give us an update on that. And then we're going to go to you and Kevin uh, and break it down for us at the Briar. Uh, We were talking off air here. It may take the two of you and it may take uh, Christina Rutherford, our special guest, to figure out who's playing who. (laughs) Uh, I think we got it figured out, Jim. I think we finally got it figured out. So we're going to do that. Get your update. Christina Rutherford is with Sportsnet and uh, writes so much stuff for them. She's in Lethbridge and going to give us her update and take us inside a little bit. But also, Christina wrote an article called Rock and a Hard Place. Uh, it's a very good piece. I read it a couple of times, actually. There was so much in it. And it is about the state of curling. There's been much debate about it. Warren has a lot to say about this. And so does Kevin. And I, I guess the two things we could tease you with when we're going to talk about this later is Ben Hebert, when he was on your team, Kevin, said... We could have walked our way into the final blindfolded in Vancouver in 2010, but 12 years later, uh, not the case. We can't do that anymore. And then Jerry Peckham from Curling Canada said, you know, the urgency about change won't mean much if we get a couple of medals in the Olympics. But if we come limping back with no medals, the urgency goes from code orange to code red. First, Warren, let's get to you. Uh, The Paralympics over in Beijing. Yes, things are moving along there quite nicely. We're getting close to the end. The final will be tomorrow, March the 12th over there. But four teams advanced to the medal round, which included China, Slovakia, Sweden, and Canada. In the semifinals, Slovakia was defeated by Sweden 6-4, and Canada lost to China 9-5, which set the stage for the bronze medal game between Slovakia and Canada, which Canada won by a very convincing 8-3 score, so Canada wins the bronze medal. 
It is the fifth straight Paralympics for Canada to medal. Congratulations to Mark Idison, John Thurston, Ian Force, Dennis Thiessen, along with alternate Kalinda Joseph and coach Mick Lismore. The gold medal game between China and Sweden will be played, as I mentioned, tomorrow, March 12th. Uh, is Sweden good at every discipline in curling, Warren? Well, they seem to have done pretty well, I think, at wheelchair curling uh, through time, but uh, I'm not that familiar with the wheelchair aspect, but they normally have been pretty good from my knowledge, yes. Uh, well, congr- like you said, congratulations, Canada. Well done uh, winning the bronze medal. So let's go to the Briar down in Lethbridge. Uh, lots to talk about. The round robin is done, uh, tiebreakers during the books. And so we've got our six teams who are going to be in the playoffs. Kevin, can you, can you break it down for us how, how this is going to suss out? Well, you know what? It uh, yes, we got down to the the final six, but really the Briar was all about uh, the the top eight. There were four teams basically in uh, Pool A, and obviously Cooey and Botcher were sort of the top two, and followed by Team Dunstone and Flash. Dunstone being a wild card, Botcher being Canada. Those basically were the top four. Uh, Glenn Howard did get a four and four record, ended up batting five hundred but wasn't really near the playoff pictures. It was kind of a battle of the four. And then the two seven ones are in. Cooey beat Botcher in round robin. So Cooey gets first spot, Botcher gets second. And a tiebreaker was played between Dunstone and Flash and Colton Flash and the team from Saskatchewan won the tiebreaker. So that sets up for your three teams. Botcher two, Flash three. In Pool B, same thing. You've got Brad Gushu and you've got Brad Jacobs, Battle of the Brads as usual. Uh, Gushu coming in first, second Jacobs. And really, once again, Fleming out of Nova Scotia. Good team. They ended up three and five, but they kind of made a bit of a, uh, you know, a stride towards the playoffs, but kind of petered out at the end. But Gunlickson and McEwen, the next top two, like I would say Gushu and Jacobs were one and two. And then three and four in that pool are Gunner and, and McEwen. They ended up both at five and three records. And they played each other in a tiebreaker, which Gunlickson won and actually won it quite handily. So we've got Gushu in one and Jacobson two and Gunlickson in three. So now this is where it gets confusing. And we're, <laughs> there are some people going back and forth, <laughs> Scotland, Sweden, myself today, earlier going to go, who's playing who? What's this going on? Because there's a sudden death game that just happened where McEwen and Dunstone are out. And now you're playing games where, yes, the losers are out, but then the, then you play a game of the winners coming in to play the number one teams, but it's not a sudden death game. It's a position thing game. And I've never <laughs> seen that where you have sudden death, sudden death, and then a position game with teams that have won the round robins to get into a one-two game. Warren, I, I'm clear with this, aren't I? Jeepers, creepers. But <laughs> the game right now, you've got wild card three gunner playing Botcher. The winner of that game will play Gushu. Now, keep in mind, everybody, when Gushu plays against the winner of the Botcher-Gunner game, that's not a sudden death game. The winner of that game will go to the one-two game. The loser will go to the three-four game. Hmm. Now, on the other side, you've got Flash playing Jacobs. The winner of that game, the loser's gone, gone home. The winner of that game is going to play Cooey, but not any kind of sudden death game. The winner goes to the 1-2 game, the loser to the 3-4 game. Then the 3-4 games, they play each other. The 1-2s play each other. Winner goes to the final. Loser of the 1-2 game goes to the semi. And the 3-4 play each other. Loser goes home. So that's as clear as I can make it. I know it's as clear as mud. But how often in sport do you play a sudden death game followed by a positional game followed by sudden death games? So anyway, that's just my point. 
How's your algebra, Warren, and your calculus? I don't get it. I, I don't agree with it at all. You're bringing in teams that are going deeper than four in, in a two-pool playoff. So you're going down into teams that can finish as low as sixth that are coming in there and to some degree getting a possibility of almost an equal shot at a team that could be undefeated. And the same thing happened in the Scotties. And, of course, what happened in, in that case, Einerson, who uh, – was unscathed, lost that game after she after after this qualifying round, and she had to then win three games in a row to to come out on top. And so it's it's not a fair situation, I don't feel. The fact that you're bringing teams in into sudden death situations that could have a way worse record than the team that they're playing, and the logical thing to do with a two pool setup is a page playoff. That's what it was made for. You take out the two tops from each side, and away they go. One plays one, mm-hmm. two plays two. The two winners play. The losers play for the bronze, and uh, you're done. But for some reason, this very complicated system has been introduced, and it's uh, it's again, I don't think fair. Okay, Warren, what about the stats? You're our stats guy. You're our statis- statistician. Uh, statistician, <laughs> easy for me to say. Uh, what's, what, what happened this week, Warren? How did it look? Well, I just want to make a comment about uh, how things have, have, have shook down here out of 18 teams and uh, to some degree how predictable the whole thing was before the thing even started. McEwen, I thought, would advance a little farther than Gun- Gunnelson. But again, McEwen played not good last night, again today, and as a result, uh, he's gone. So that's really the only difference that you could see in what you might have predicted before the whole thing started. But I did a little analysis on the percentages, which is Kevin says, if you shoot well, you win. And I think this is uh, holds true here. So if we take a look at what's happened over the week, the Gushu team average was 88%. Gushu himself, 90 Jacobs, 90%. Jacobs himself, 90 The low man on that team was EJ Harden at 88 so that team is flying uh, really high, and again, I think that they're going to be hard to beat in the next uh, couple of days. The Botcher team, 87%, Brennan at 85 and then Flash at 86%, the, t- or the team at 86%, Flash at 80 and Gunnelson team at 85%, and him at 82 So you kind of see how they, they do fall down in order with regard to the percentages that they've been shooting. And as, as we look at it, it looks like Gushu and uh, Jacobs, which we would have probably picked before the thing started, are at the top of the rung. But if we take a look even farther, if we look at teams like Nova Scotia and BC, they're kind of just a little bit below there, along with probably Ontario at this point. Team Nova Scotia's average was 80%. Team BC was 82 And if you look at the ones below that, the territories, PEI, Newfoundland, Labrador, they're in the 60s or low 70s. And if you don't shoot the percentages, you don't win. I also like, Warren, uh, whether we get a chance to talk about it, you, uh, you gave us the age of a bunch of the skips in, uh, I, I saw you throw that out there the other day. There's seven of them, minimum age, 44 years old, and a bunch of them over 50. Uh, and I know you'll have something to say about that, Warren. We're very pleased right now, though, to be joined by Christina Rutherford, who comes to us from inside her car. How are you, Christina? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice and warm. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're there. Uh, we want to talk to you about a couple of things, certainly what's going on in your take on everything at the Briar. And, uh, you know, inside uh, for us, you're on the ground. What are you taking away so far at the Briar? Well, it's been, I, I mean, quite a scene coming into Lethbridge where it does feel a little bit like the Wild West in that everything is wide open. 
I have to say I was a little shocked. I walked into the patch. I've been into a few patches over the mm -hmm. years. Always had a really good time. And it was full concert mode, no masks. People were partying. And so, yeah, I would say the city of Lethbridge is really embracing this event and really embracing the fact that, you know, the world has opened up a lot more. The crowds have been really good. Lots of people overindulging. I wouldn't even say overindulging, just indulging quite nicely in drinks <laughs> and good times in their seats. And it's just been, it's really been lovely to see. And I know, obviously not just for me, but for the players, they talk about it, I think, after every draw, win or lose, how great the crowds have been and how nice it's been to have that support. So it has been, it's been a really fun event so far. What about the curling itself? Any surprises for you? We just got warning, Kevin, who broke it down. What sticks out for you in, in terms of uh, what's happened with wins and losses with teams? Yeah, I would say it seems to be shaking out with the usual suspects being here at the end of the week. I, I was a little shocked to see Matt Dunstone go out this morning in that tiebreaker game just because I felt his team was playing so well and they were so solid, but it really came down to a couple mistakes. And then, of course, Colton Flash playing really well, his whole team. But as far as, I, I guess one thing I would say I'm surprised about, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but I thought Brad Gushu's team would come in here uh, without energy, you know? And I thought they might stumble out of the gate or something, but they they ran the table and um, are undefeated here, which you would expect, but I wouldn't expect from a team that came back from Beijing not long ago, had maybe one week of rest, but they've been playing really well, really solid like we're used to seeing and at the same time you know brad is telling us he's got a, a fuel tank that's 50 percent full but he's playing like it's pretty close to 100 uh, before we get to warning kevin to ask you some questions uh are, are you able to think of or predict who who might win this thing or is it far too close oh i'll just make a prediction sure i mean why not that's why we're here um i i'm gonna go with kevin cooey and I think it's for a couple reasons. One is that the Koo Dog has been playing unbelievable, as all of his teammates have been telling us. And two, they're in front of a hometown crowd, which I think matters. They're getting that extra support. And three, this team is breaking up after the end of this season. And wouldn't it be kind of great to go out on such a high and have a win here? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose them, Cooey, champions. Very good. Kevin, you've won this thing. We'll, we'll flip it to you. Uh, we, we want your prediction, and then uh, you've got some stuff you want to ask Christina. Yeah, I do, for sure, for sure. Uh, you want a prediction out of me? Well, it seems like pretty much all of the teams are, are going to be splitting up, <laughs> as far as I can tell, um, after this. I definitely, uh, I like Gushu. Um, I had a real good chat with Brad. Brad and I are pretty good friends, and, and his tank is a little bit low, but the whole team are shooting well. And you've got to remember coming into this thing, nobody had played much at all except them. So what a huge advantage to, to be the team that's played the most. So I think that bodes well, I think, for, for Team Gushu going into this uh, weekend. And even with a half a tank, the top teams seem to be able to find the energy to be able to, uh, to put on a good show and, and make the shots under the highest pressure. So it'll be interesting to see. But one thing that I've noticed, I think, Christina, and you'll be able to fill me in on this, and I think it's a really good sign, seems to me that the Briar crowds are usually very old. The, the crowd is average age is really old, but not so much this year. 
Not so much this year. It's been a younger crowd, more boisterous. Definitely the patch is doing some big numbers, which is great to see. That hasn't happened lately either. Now, I kind of think, I had a really good talk with Karik about this after one of his games, and he just thinks because, to your point, Christina, that the world's opening up, young people that haven't been able to go out and have fun without a mask on for a very long time, they see this as a huge opportunity to go to the patch, go to the rink, make a bunch of noise what you're having, have a few cocktails, and really have fun. And how do we keep that momentum, not just at the Briar, but all curling going forward to keep more and more young people coming and enjoying our game? Yeah, that's a really good question. But to your your first point, I have noticed that it's a younger crowd um, and they're dressed up like some of them have some costumes on that I can't really describe. And they're cheersing when they get on the, the jumbotron screen there. They're chugging their drinks and everybody's <laughs> applauding them. And then they immediately stand up and they go get another one. And then the camera comes back to them and they smash that one. And so you're getting a really good kind of party scene inside the arena which is so it's so nice to see it's so welcome i think for everybody at this point but keeping that younger generation invested in curling and caring about curling i I, I know you you think that's a really important thing, Kevin, and I don't know what the key is to keeping those crowds younger, but there's a lot of a lot of little babies in the crowd, and they keep holding them up like they're <laughs> Lion King babies. Um, so hopefully those little babies are growing up and they're going to be curling fans. You know, it is about exposure, right? And having a big event like this here, I think, is definitely helping expose those younger people to curling for sure. I got one more and I'm going to let Warren jump in here, but when it comes to the, to the games, okay. So you've got a younger crowd, very boisterous. I'm not sure if the curling knowledge is as high as usual. I hope not. Actually, we get more people coming in and just having fun and maybe not the, the people that curl three times a week, but maybe have only curled once in a while or maybe never. Um, but my point is when it comes to the briar, most of the draws have had one marquee game. Like basically it's one really, really good game and then three blowouts um, for the most part. And, and that's okay. But I'm just wondering, do, the, do these crowds care? Like does it matter that you have on sheet Charlie a really good Gushu Jacobs game? Great. And then the other three games, they tend to be, you know, eight to two after six or seven and not that exciting. But the game that's close is on TV. So that's good. Have you noticed when the crowd because there's so much blow, it's like the difference between the top eight and the bottom 10 in this event, there's, there's a buffer that's incredibly thick between the top and the bottom, in my opinion. But does that affect the crowd, or in this case, maybe not at all, Christina? Well, I did notice, and I, I'm trying to remember which two teams were playing, but I think it was McEwen, and it was a blowout, and... I forget who they were playing, but whenever, when that other team scored a single point, the crowd went bananas. So they were paying attention to that game. And I think another, another time it really hit home for me that this was a knowledgeable crowd was when, um, team Canada played against Darren Moulding and that, you know, first matchup between former teammates and the amount of booing coming when team Canada was taking some shots was pretty high. And I think it was all because, you know, they knew about the the severed relationship with Darren. Um, and I think a lot of the people in the crowd were friends with Darren. But that knowledge there and 
and also that was a younger a younger type of crowd there with a little bit of uh um trash talk going on in that game that was a pretty uh exciting show for them and i think they responded in kind you know they were they were doing a little bit of uh jeering if you will of team canada at times but also really appreciated the game and how close it was so yeah it's a young it's a knowledgeable crowd and they do cheer during the blowouts too so it's been really good good warren go ahead okay so my predictions. <laughs> I won't change much from what I did before the Briar started in the fact that I, I looked back to the Olympic trials and then Gushu and the Olympics, and I thought it would come down to be between Gushu and Jacobs. I still do, the percentages and from what I have observed. But what's going to be interesting, they were both in the same pool. And by my memory, uh, of course, Gushu defeated Jacobs in the round robin, which means he's going to have the hammer in that game if they both end up in the final, which to me, between those two teams of that caliber, are going to be huge uh, if, if Gushu's got the hammer in the first end, uh, just like it was in the, in the Olympic trials. So looking at that, I'm going to give the edge to Gushu, but I think it'll be very close, and I think those are the two teams that will be there the final day. Very good, Warren. Christina, let's uh, let let's talk about this article you wrote called "Rock in a Hard Place," which, uh, again, as I said at the top of the show, is all about the state of curling. It's an absolutely in-depth article. You did an unbelievable job. It must have taken you days for all the interviews you had with uh, the top players in the game. Uh, I came away reading that article. Of some, some wanted massive changes. Uh, some want a few changes, and others are just fine with the way it is. What do you take away from that, Christine, when you had finished that article and wrapped it up uh, about the state of curling in Canada? Uh, well, first off, thank you. I'm I'm very glad you liked it. I have to say I felt pretty overwhelmed when I started doing the research and started understanding maybe what changes needed to happen or should happen to get Canada back on top and and what might have to give in order for that to happen. And so I think, honestly, if I, I spoke to, I don't know, a dozen curlers, and I probably heard a, do, a dozen different answers for what changes need to take place. Some people believe they need more funding. So there's a bunch of funding that's spread around among six teams in the current picture. And some people believe it should be two or three teams. But then there's, well, what are you sacrificing there? So you're you're killing a lot of people's dreams, in Chelsea Carey's words. And you're, you are, to some extent, probably risking losing the depth of competition in this country, which is probably the greatest thing about curling in Canada. So my takeaway was, what a <laughs> difficult position to be in for Curling Canada. Because I think they've acknowledged the changes have to come. But I think part of the reason is that those changes haven't happened yet is because it's a really difficult balance to strike. Yeah, they talked about this urgency now uh, because Canada didn't get the medals that they wanted to. Again, Peckham said, you know, now we're into code red, according to what he did. When you hear that, do you have any idea of then what might be the first changes they talk about, Christina? They hinted at a few things they were looking at, and one of them was spreading that funding less thin, so concentrating on fewer teams. One of them was further centralization of teams. So maybe going forward, they would say, okay, there has to be at least one training camp a month or something like that to get those four players in the same spot. 
and they're they're discussing schedule changes too. I know a lot of curlers, um, Brad Gushu included, and they believe that the trials, for example, are too close to the Olympics themselves. And Chelsea Carey talked to me about winning the Scotties and feeling absolutely gassed. And then a week later, two weeks later, heading off to, you know, over to Europe to compete in Worlds and just feeling gassed when they got there. So just not prepared. And it used to be, as Jerry put it, they could send Canadian teams out to World Championships with half a fuel tank and they would win. But that's not the case anymore because you've got all these other countries that are investing all of their resources into one or two teams. And those teams are full-time curlers. And of course, Canada is not in that position yet. Warren, uh, this is this is something that you do not sit on the fence about. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to our show, <laughs> it isn't tough to get an opinion from Hanson. Uh, Warren, what do you say to all this? It's painful, Jim. <laughs> um, I, I, I have I, I've thought I've seen the light for years as to where we have to go, and I can go back to where this all originally started back in 1987 with the first demonstration of curling in the 88 games and how we begin to put things in place there to deal with this. And, and in my opinion, where we're at right now is damaging the top level of the sport and it's damaging the bottom level of the sport. And to some degree, I'm not sure how you get out of it without causing some pain somewhere. And so I've given it a lot of thought. I think, in my opinion, the immediate solution to begin to do something a little differently without completely upsetting everybody is first and foremost, I think the residency rule needs to go. And as uh, Brad Gushu said to us, it makes no sense anyway, because if you want to get around it, you'll get around it. And uh, that's been going on for at least 25 years, or if you want to get around it, you're going to get around it. I think the other dilemma comes with the structure of the Scotties and the Briar. And initially, maybe this isn't where you want to go ultimately, but maybe you continue with the 18 teams, you get rid of Team Canada, you take the top four ranks and give them positions 15, 16, 17, 18, and you declare that before the 1st of January of the year prior to the Briar and Scotties. So it now opens up to some degree some positions in provinces like Alberta, Manitoba for the younger teams to maybe get to the Briar Scotties. And maybe that becomes the first kind of direction you take is beginning to, to fix the situation. And I think ultimately maybe step two is you end up having the Canada Cup winner being the team that represents Canada at the Worlds because it gives you a three, four-month cushion. And again, we'll relieve those top teams from what's going to happen to them in January and February. So I think that's the immediate thing that they could maybe do, but I don't think that's the long-term solution. But at least it starts to get things in the right direction. That's my thoughts. If I, if I summarize what you said, Kev, uh, here's the problem with the national championships is there's there are four or five teams who would be much better than some of these provincial teams, and they can't get in the briar, and you see that as a problem, Kev. Yeah, it, it is. Um, really, you know, I think uh, a step back and, and an overall decision needs to be made. Okay, are the top teams going to be amateur, or are they going to go down a more professional curling type of a road like it is in Sweden, like it is in Scotland, like it is, you know, all, all, in a lot of places around the world. And that's really a, a decision that needs to be made by Curling Canada. Fine, make that decision. Um, when it comes to the national championship, who, who, how we send, one major concern is if we indeed are going to keep all the curlers as amateurs so that they all have second jobs, okay, then we need to shorten up these events. And because this thing, the guys are flying in on, on Thursday or even Wednesday night for this briar. They had practice time. Uh, it started Friday. 
the first games were Friday night. So they had practice Friday morning. So teams that are from way far away, you're probably flying in Wednesday night or, or at least sometime midday Thursday for the team meeting. So all we have to do is crown the champ. Before this ever started, it was only an eight-horse race. So figure out a way to, to shorten it down. You're still going to have the cream rise to the top. Get your champ but not so much time off work. If you're going to have these guys and, and ladies and the Scotties working outside of curling, you can't make them take off a week for provincials, a week and a half for the national championship, a week and a half for the worlds, but you expect them to be good when they get there. Well, that's too many weeks off already. And now you're, what, you're going to have them play six slams. You're going to have them play six slams and you're going to have them play the tour events. You're going to play all this stuff. So they got to decide, are we going to be amateur? Or are we going to be professional? And when they do that, then they got to shorten the events down. Otherwise people aren't going to be able to do it their whole career because you got to work. It's, 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 they're, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. Ha <laughs> I like that, Christina. And no, and, and only because of the organization of it. Like, let, let's just think about this a little bit, look at the timetable, and make a decision that way. The first thing you need to do, as we've said so many times, you need to get everybody in the room that's involved in this stuff and start to talk about it. And that's what has not been happening, and that's to some degree why we've reached the point that we have. Yeah, like you had said, Christine, at the top, you, you interviewed a dozen curlers, and you maybe got a dozen different answers. You made the point that curlers and Curling Canada almost never see eye to eye, which is very telling, although they do see eye to eye to Warren's point that they both agree that the players should have a place at the table. How far away are they from that, Christine, or do you see it happening sooner than later? I know that was something that Curling Canada actually said that they were looking into was getting players a seat at the table. I don't know, though, talking to Brent Lang, he said it seemed like it was far away, that they talked about organizing before and it just hadn't happened. And I can see why that's difficult for them, too, because they're all over the place all the time. Um, but it it seems that that's something, yes, that Curling Canada wants to do, which is something that absolutely has to happen, um, because I think that's a, a major issue. They, as you said, don't see eye to eye on so many things. And just to get them all around a table together and really uh, hash things out, I think, would le- would lead to a lot of maybe solutions and and positive steps forward yeah uh, hopefully it doesn't get to a stage because this has been ongoing for a long time players saying they need a seat at the table they don't have it yet that it doesn't get ugly you know at some point and players stepping back going okay we're not going to curl you know i don't want to catastrophize it but uh christina fantastic having you on uh we look forward to having you on again more often your stuff is really good uh congratulations on all that that you're doing and uh we appreciate you talking about the briar giving us your prediction we're, we're going to watch closely here what's going to happen with with curlers and curling canada so what's up for the rest of the afternoon christina i'm i'm waiting for you to go into the arena you talked about all these babies that are in uh, do they not have babysitters in Lethbridge? <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess not i guess not it's honestly the most popular thing on the video board is a parent holding their baby up like they're the lion king yeah i'm waiting for them to scream Ah, uh, Sabanya! <laughs> I remember watching that show with my kids. <laughs> Get back to work, Christina. There's lots left of curling this year. Ah, uh, do I have to? No, it's it's so much fun. And thank you guys so much for having me. It's honestly a real pleasure to be on this show. Great show. Keep up the good work. Thank Thanks you very much Christina. for coming on. Thank you, Christina. Thank you.
So Kevin and Warren, uh, maybe I wonder if Christine is even going to go deeper into this thing to, to figure it out. Uh, Kev, we'll have to watch. Uh, she's got lots. She's like an investigative reporter, Kevin. You're yeah. going to have to watch for more. She's been doing a great job, Jim. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm so glad she came on the show today. Do you think something will give, Warren, pretty soon? You, you... Well, I, I hope she keeps digging because uh, not many people are. We seem to be the only ones that are voicing a lot of opinions. And again, I'm not sure what the solution is, except I know what they're doing has to come to an end some way, shape, or form, and they got to start talking about it. And the players have to be part of this, and I think some things are going to happen here very soon that are going to make the players part of it. So we'll just leave that at that today. But I hope they start talking. Hey, hey Hanson. Kevin and I are worried. How thick is your skin? Uh, I was whipping through Facebook. <laughs> people are people are taking, hey, what's wrong with them, Warren? They're coming at you hard. Well, it, it shows you, though, Jim, uh, how a lot of people are so embedded in their thoughts of how things were and how they used to be and that they can't move off of that. And, and we've got to move off of it if we want to keep things moving forward for the overall good of all the sport, not just the high performance. Yeah, although that being said, there are a lot of people who do agree with you. So check it out. Go to our Facebook page. Thanks a lot to Rod Paulson, who looks after that, and our Facebook group. Uh, get a hold of us. We love your emails, insidecurling at gmail.com. Huge thank you to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. Warren, the book, Sticks and Stones. Uh, people can get a digital copy of that. Uh, it's also for sale, and we're going to start to give it away. We've been doing it for a few weeks, so... Uh, if we read your email during our regular show, you're going to get a copy of Warren's book. So thanks very much for that. Kevin, what are you doing the rest of the week? Are you going to, can you watch Brian? We, I never know what part of the world you're in. <laughs> Actually in Kentucky watching uh, our youngest play softball right now. So it's been, had a fantastic doubleheader this morning. So uh, we'll be back in Canada pretty soon. Right on, Kev. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Kevin. Warren, take it easy. Okay, go read some more emails, Warren. Okay, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Take it easy, everyone. We'll talk to you again on the next edition of Inside Curling. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy.